Well, um, today we want to start with um, just looking at the world around us and realizing, you know, it's kind of fallen apart. You know, and we see lots of lonely, lost, angry, bitter, cynical, apathetic, and uncaring folks around us. Uh, We see marriages and friendships and families falling apart, disintegrating right before our eyes, because people either do not want to or they simply don't do the hard work of developing strong relationships. Uh, But the silver lining is that provides the church and God's people with an opportunity to tell people, to give them direction and answers for their problems. The question really for us is, are we up to the task? Last month, we took a look at how God's redemptive plan, expressed throughout His Word, emphasizes generational relationships. If relationships weren't really so important, God could have simply set up a school and taught his disciples through lectures and textbooks. It seems to me that would have been a whole lot more efficient. But instead, Christ came to earth and he related to mankind. And because God loved us and Jesus loved us on a heart level, we know that it is through heart-level relationships that his love for us and his redemptive plan is passed on to others, and particularly to our succeeding generations through our households. One of the most effective and, frankly, unavoidable methods of passing this stuff on is through our example. And within the household Uh, The biblical model is for fathers to be the head of the household. Now, dads, honestly, we don't always fulfill that role well, but that's what we're called to be and to do. Some of you may remember an old elder at TBC by the name of Verd Holstein. And Verd told me once, you know, people look at God in the same way that they look at their own earthly father. And if if you think about that, that puts a lot of emphasis, vitally important, that dad set a good example and that they have a solid relationship with God because really dads cannot give what they do not possess themselves. And so if we truly love our children so much that we want them to be close to God, we must first humble ourselves and surrender our hearts to to walk with our Heavenly Father in a deep and meaningful relationship. And if we do this on a day-to-day basis, we may even learn such cherished qualities as patience, forbearance, justice, sacrifice, gentleness, and this class never lets out. After over 35 years of parenting, I am still learning what it means to be truly led by the Spirit rather than the flesh. But through this process, dads, we can transform ourselves from dull, brick, 
you know, mortar-encrusted, you know, walls to stained glass windows through which God's love shines on our wives and children and on the church. But that's only half of the parenting equation. Husbands and wives form a unified foundation upon which our households are built. If you'll turn to Proverbs 6, this gives us a beautiful picture of how this works. And they're starting in verse 20. Uh, It says, My son, keep your father's command, and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart, Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak with you. This sounds a lot like Deuteronomy 6, doesn't it? For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. Here's how this is supposed to work. First, children watch as their fathers take responsibility for the household. And they do their best to teach and apply the word within their household through their commands. Then, the mother enthusiastically uses her authority and unique gifts on a day-to-day basis to ensure the father's commands are carried out within the family through her law. You know what that is, kids. In the process a picture of God's plan for the family and the unity of marriage is woven into a beautiful tapestry before the kids. Remember, father's command is a lamp. Mother's law is a light. You know, you can't have a light without a source, a lamp. And what good is a lamp if it doesn't produce light. Both have to work together in this endeavor. Now, as fathers are the head of the home, we've said before that moms and wives are the heart of the home. This doesn't imply that men are heartless any more than it implies that women or wives don't play a significant role in household leadership. But rather, God has given moms that nurturing character to help balance out dads, to form that complementary whole. Moms model for their children what it means to complete that whole. Of course, our daughters need to have that modeled in front of them, but sons need to see it as well so that they will understand how this works and they'll know what to look for in a wife. Now, I usually spend my time beating knuckle-headed guys over the head. I can say that because I are one. Uh, Well, now, ladies, it's your turn, okay? So you'll understand this, moms. Let's consider the purpose of your light within the context of Proverbs 6. When I stopped reading, we stopped in the middle of verse 23. Let's pick it up there. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. 
Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. New American Standard has a comma there. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of the seductress. Now, the King James and maybe some other versions have a period between 23 and 24, but even, even with that, within the context, it's clear that without the example of your loving submission, completing the unified whole with your husband, supporting him in his imperfect leadership, you will be literally leaving your son vulnerable to the evil woman, to the seductress. And I've got no doubt this is absolutely true for daughters with evil men as well, because we know there's a, quite a few of those around. So, moms, the stakes are high. You might say, well, you don't understand. My husband is a knucklehead. Or, you know, he really hasn't treated me all that well. Or maybe even, you know, he hasn't always been faithful to me. Well, regrettably, that happens. My mother was, frankly, the bedrock of the household in which I grew up. She was the one who made sure that we went to church. My father loved us, but he was not always faithful. In fact, he left us, not once, but twice. Mom never cut him down in front of us. She let us know about the situation, and she prayed for him fervently. The second time that this happened, I was in high school. Dad flew small planes, and on the way back from a little trip with the other woman, uh, we believe God spanked him and took him down in a storm. Dad did not fare nearly so well as David Osborne did a few weeks ago. He had severe uh, head and, and leg injuries. He walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Mom could have easily said, you know, you deserved everything that you got and walked away. Instead, she forgave my father and she offered to take him back, an offer he wisely accepted. In fact, he came home from the hospital humiliated, but yet humbled and a different man. He knew that he had been handed something which he did not deserve. And he remained faithful the rest of his life. He did all that he could to make up for disappointing us. The point is here that through her forgiveness, God gave me a dad to encourage me through my high school and college and then marriage and then the Marines. As a lawyer himself, he was delighted that I decided to come out and go to law school. However, God took him home just a couple of weeks before I graduated. But mom, she gave me this picture of the kind of woman that I was to seek for a life partner. One with conviction, but one who was loving, patient, and forgiving. And that's the woman that God gave me. Like my father, quite undeservedly. And I've learned from both my parents and from my wife that my family and a life partner are far too important, far too precious to ever hurt as I hurt during those separations. Now, 
Mom is now 93, and understandably, she needs quite a bit of help. And oftentimes when we as a family help her, she will say, you don't need to do that for me. And I think in my mind, yeah, Mom, what have you ever done for me? You just carried me and gave me birth. You just took me lovingly through my difficult growing up years, like picking me up at the police station. You just kept our family together. You just modeled what a virtuous woman really is. You just instilled in me a faithfulness to Christy for the rest of my life. That's all you really ever did for me. Ladies, let me say this. In a place like this, in this church, where we talk over and over and over again about the importance of the, the role of men, of husbands and fathers, don't you ever doubt for a moment how important your role is in the spiritual health of your children and their children and beyond. So, what does it take to start these heart-level relationships? The first one's a no-brainer, total commitment. As family relations require total commitment, likewise, our relationships within the church require the same. We will only see members of our body grow spiritually through committed heart-level relationships. Let's return to the... Abraham-Isaac dilemma that we talked about last month. And this, is, this gives us a much deeper insight than simply a lesson in obedience. The command to sacrifice his son Isaac was, frankly, incomprehensible, mind-boggling. It seemed to contradict God's promise to Abraham that he would bring about a whole nation through his son Isaac. How could Abraham carry out that command? The answer is that he knew God well, and he trusted him. He knew that no matter what happened, even if Isaac were to die there on the altar, God would do whatever was necessary, even raise him from the dead, to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Obviously, Abraham trusted God, And Isaac must have trusted Abraham. And that trust paid off, and the promise was fulfilled. The question for us is, are we as committed as Abraham was to God? Do we have the lifelong trusting relationships with our spouse and children that Abraham had with with Isaac? The foundations of our relationship have to be trust and character. And we have to trust God's character through the middle of trials and challenges day in and day out. Secondly, we've got to understand how God loves us. The word discipline brings up different impressions, some not so good. 
Yet, discipline and correction are vital to spiritual maturity. Ephesians 6 starts off talking about how parents are to obey and honor their... uh, Our children are to obey and honor their parents. Then in verse 4, fathers are commanded to not provoke their children to anger, but rather train them up in the discipline, the nurture, the admonition, the instruction of the Lord. There are also dozens of references in the Proverbs to discipline. I'd like you now to turn to Hebrews 12, which gives us a significant insight into how God loves us. Hebrews 12, starting at verse 3, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons, which is, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is because of discipline that you endure. Pain is gain. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children. You're not really sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be respectful or be subject to the Father of lights and live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment does not seem to be terribly joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. The point here is that it is only through relationships, both with God and others, that we experience discipline. Fathers and mothers, both familial and spiritual, who love their children, must do the hard work of disciplining, whether it's their biological or adopted or their spiritual children. You know, wise parents know you have to discipline. And in dealing with disobedient children, it's not usually the children who are the problem. Yeah, they do have a sin nature, and it will lead to sin. But rather, the problem really is usually the inconsistency of parents that creates problems with misbehavior. It's threatening and repeating instead of getting up off the, off, off the couch and correcting the problem that leads to misbehavior, and which also, frankly, leads to parents blowing up in anger, out of frustration. However, if we do not discipline with love and patience, we'll end up provoking our little disciples to their own anger. Clearly, without close relationship, there is no basis for discipline. If you doubt this, just try 
correcting some unruly child that you don't know in the supermarket aisle. Uh, it sounds almost contradictory, relationship and love with discipline. But we just have to understand that the biblical concept of love, which is tender, sacrificial, and caring, is also tough. Tough enough to care, to correct and steer away our loved ones from harmful actions and unloving attitudes. As it says in Hebrews 12, For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines for our good, because that discipline yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Once we understand how God loves us, we'll be better able to love and form a heart relationship with our loved ones. This is what fosters respect. Thirdly, we have to understand that in the final analysis, it's all in the heart. What is the heart? Well, some say it's the mind, uh, the seat of emotions, metaphorically, you know, a person's rational or moral being. But for our purposes, the heart is simply the target of all of our effective instruction. Scripture. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. Read your Bible. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Then in Matthew 22, when the lawyer asked Jesus the question, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of all? Jesus said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Clearly, God wants our hearts. So our goal should be to develop a heart that loves God and loves others around us. The question is, how do we do that? Love is a lot like trust. It requires relationship. And relationship takes time and connection. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you get to know them, both the good and the bad, uh, and the more your relationship develops, the deeper it becomes. Without time together, it is impossible to know others on a heart level. And this is certainly true of our relationship with our children. A convicting question, at least for me, is how well do I really know the hearts of my children? You see, God's plan is for parents to reach the hearts of their children. And we see this in, in Scripture over and over again in familiar passages like Ephesians 6. And the last verse of the Old Testament where the prophet Malachi says, the hearts of the fathers will be turned or restored to their children, and the hearts of the fathers to their children, the children to their fathers. Why? So that I don't have to come and smite the earth with a curse. As parents, we've got to be humble and teachable in order for God to use us to teach our children. 
and you know, parents, this is not our natural bent. We are the older, the wiser, the more experienced, more mature ones, and we've paid our dues, right? Therefore, our humility can sometimes be subconsciously replaced with pride to kind of keep up appearances. I mean, in dealing with problems, we often uncover our past problems and maybe even our sins. Um, In the process of sharing our past stumbling and failure, that's when others will see that we really care about them. We can empathize with them because we've been there. And we've got to do this with our own children. Our weaknesses are often passed on to them. And in dealing with those problems, we can uncover past problems, maybe even our old unconfessed sins. It's then vital, as Jesus explained, that we as parents have to take the beam out of our eye so that we can see clearly to take the splinter out of the eye of our children. Relating to our children and others on a heart level is, frankly, a purifying and a painful process, but it's absolutely essential to relationship. To do this, we've got to be humble. We've got to be teachable. We've got to be willing to confess and repent. Psalm 51, familiar prayer. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast or a right spirit within me. Psalm 24 says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart will grow closer to God. These and other passages disclose God's heart that we should be genuine in our relationships. We must be connected at the heart with the hearts of our loved ones, that spouse, that child, that brother or sister in Christ. And the key to a child's heart is a long-lasting, devoted, and constantly developing relationship. It may involve overcoming disappointments in order to draw closer. Sometimes, parents, we've got to not allow the little battles to escalate too much because the higher goal is to win the war for the heart. Once you've got the heart, frankly, all that other stuff is going to fall into place. Not easy. How can we really reach the heart? Well, some might say, well, you know, frankly, you can't because only God can reach the heart, and and that's true. It's God and God only who can know, judge, and change somebody's heart. However, we can perceive through relationship the condition of someone's heart, and we can be used by God as a tool to help change it. How do we do that? First, we've mentioned this before, we can be a model, an example of faith and conviction. Children will emulate that in which they find their security. This requires time, energies, resources, ears, eyes, minds, advice, all that we are and all that we have. And 
unfortunately, if we don't hold ourselves to the same standard that we teach them, we're going to be viewed as hypocrites. It's going to be counterproductive. Therefore, we've got to examine ourselves as we will here. Are you doing communion today? No, as we will next time, next week. Yeah, that's right, when we do communion. Um, it requires prayer like that found in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and try my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Next, we've got to take time to communicate. You know, as life speeds up, we see more and more ways to use or spend our time, whether it's with work or sports or entertainment or looking at screens or handheld devices, just hanging out, or sometimes even ministry. Fact is, there's only so much time, and all that busyness takes up time that could be used in communicating and relating to others. And therefore, modern families have ended up spending less and less time in meaningful conversations. On the other hand, God simply loved us so much that he gave us his Holy Spirit. For how often? Just all the time. So how do we model the Holy Spirit as parents? Well, these opportunities to converse meaningfully don't just always occur at convenient times. Our familial relationships are pretty much 24-7 things. You know, there are times at the end of a hard day when dad simply just wants to hit the sack, but in walks a teenager with a problem. Or mom may, might be in the middle of busily preparing dinner, and a four-year-old will rush in and simply have to tell her about what she just saw two pets in the neighborhood doing together. Or a single person might have to get up before daybreak to meet with a friend to talk about temptation. These things don't always happen at convenient times. And it takes time. Modern households and young people are today so distracted and fragmented into special interests and activities, there are fewer and fewer chances to converse. Parents often have to engage in fairly high-level planning and logistics just to transport all their kiddos to the different activities. And I don't know the solution for all this other than to make some tough decisions and cut back a little on the activities, even though... They're perfectly good activities. Remember, it is oftentimes the good things in life that crowd out the best things in life. It's really just a matter of perspective and setting priorities. That old standard mealtime when families would gather around the table and actually look at each other and talk you know, kind of like the Waltons, is becoming a dinosaur. If you find that your family eats in shifts more often than on rare occasions, 
you have probably succumbed to that modern lifestyle. Something Christy has done very well is to organize and encourage family celebrations and traditions. This not only builds relationship, but it builds memories. Uh, we have a meal once a week where all the married kids can bring their families over or guests or whatever, and we just spend some time eating and talking and playing together. Christian families have got to be intentional about getting together, conversing, encouraging, exhorting one another. In the same way, the church has got to do those kinds of things together, and we've got to avoid fragmentation with too many age-segregated activities that diminish time spent in meaningful relationships across the board. Now, getting back to the personal level, <clears throat> excuse me, for communication to effectively strengthen our relationships, we must also listen well. Attractive listening, attentive listening, excuse me, is one of the ways that we build trust with one another. <clears throat> Consider how teens might become those autonomous, non-communicative entities living seemingly in a bubble with earbuds permanently attached. You get the picture? Perhaps when they were young, they talked all the time. But their parents, engaged in more important matters, would respond with mindless, uh-huh, sure, oh yeah, well that's good, honey. By the time the parents wake up to the reality that their kids are growing up and might need some guidance, and the parents are ready to converse, the teenager learned long ago that his communications just were not all that important or interesting enough to deserve the attention of his or her parents. And parents, think about this. Has your life become so hectic that none of your conversations with the kids fall outside of, one, giving orders, two, telling them where we're going next, or three, putting out brush fires? Just think about it. If so, you may want to consider listening to and engaging with your children. Trust is what is engendered by talking and listening it's essential to reaching the heart. I got a confession. With my compartmentalized, male-impaired brain, I often start to hear a complaint by first receiving the testimony of my wife or children with the explicit goal of solving the problem quickly. And so as they're explaining, once I get it, I will interrupt in mid-sentence and pronounce my judgment. Effective listening, on the other hand, involves asking questions that bring out motivations and underlying, often hidden issues. And when we stop what we're doing, look them straight in the eye and ask, what's going on? on the inside. We get down to what's really important. 
That's when we take advantage of a great opportunity to develop relationship. We communicate with and to the heart. We convey true love in those moments. And getting to those issues where my loved one really is, is the heart of discipleship. We spoke earlier about discipline, same root word, but discipleship is the counterbalance to discipline. Some suggestions for discipleship uh, and reaching the heart that Christy has come up with would be these. Train your children in God's Word. That's discipleship. Teach them from the Word daily. Okay? Men, you know, I don't know if this was ever an art form. certainly wasn't with me. It hasn't been. But if it is, it's a lost art. Please consider coming to the men's roundtable on September the 22nd, 8 o'clock a.m. at Shawnee Country Club. And we're going to try, we're going to do our best just to give some ideas and hear your ideas about how to lead family devotions. Show your children by example that you obey the word also. Talk with them often. Be a good listener. Respond gently. Give instruction in a calm way. Warn them about wrong behavior and what it leads to. Give them moral reason why they shouldn't do that. Set boundaries. Discipline and correct lovingly for prior instruction ignored. Require first-time obedience. That's what builds respect for you. Be involved in the things they're involved with. Be their biggest cheerleader. Just avoid activity overload. Be sympathetic. Be affectionate with your children. Touch them. Comfort them. When they fail, when they stumble, be there for them. Emotionally, at least. Offer a hand to an older child who has a problem. Never have the attitude or words that convey, well, I told you so. Finally, remember Churchill. Never give up. Never give up on your children. One of the hardest things that I've had to deal with in my life is to watch my adult children make decisions that were hurtful to themselves or to others, particularly when I knew that the genesis of that problem was my failure to relate to them. But God uses even those situations to bring about his best. You know, God loves us enough to keep his arms open when we fall, when we sin, when we disappoint, If we'll come back and confess, he receives us. Is it too much for us to do the same with our own children? Never give up on them. You know, permissive parenting, they do whatever they want to do. That breeds little terrorists. But, 
If your pendulum is swung over to the other extreme as a strict authoritarian, that by itself is one great way to create little legalists. In other words, uh, they adhere to the letter of the law all the while defying the spirit of the law in their hearts. You know, Paul said, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It's more difficult, but far more profitable to look to the heart, for it is the heart that is the wellspring of all their behavior, of all their attitudes. So if our goal is more than just looking like good Christians, just doing and saying the right things, we can and must ask questions of our children and those and our loved ones and our brothers and sisters in Christ that cut through the small talk and the self-righteous veneer to reach the hearts of those loved ones. It is heart-level relationships within the church, God's household, and our household that teach, encourage, and challenge all to a genuine relationship with one another and with him. A message like this one is, well, it's a message. You know, it may or may not really change your view and, and your life. I thought it would be good for all of you to hear from a member of this body who has been dealing with heart issues on several levels. Stanley? to ask me if I was up for this this morning. I said, well, when you're done teaching, if I'm still here, uh, I'll give this a go. So I, I missed my, my exit opportunity. Yes, you did. Um, yeah, if there's a bit of emotion in this, uh, just, uh, just bear with me. Um, I, would, I would start with something uh, kind of piggybacking on what Kent said. This, uh, this Winston Churchill, uh, never give in, never, never give up. Uh, on a personal level, if you can relate to bits and pieces of my story today, I, I would just say there's there's hope. Uh, ne- never give up on what God can do in uh, in your heart either. Uh, I've got a few notes here just to try to keep me on uh, on task. Just take a few minutes to share some things that are that are going on. Happy to visit uh, personally with any uh, any of you that uh, want maybe a little bit more. Uh, more real uh, one-on-one uh, in the uh, days and weeks ahead. Um, the, the last couple of years, I've been uh, rediscovering my heart um, towards God, and there has been a softening, um, a healing, and uh, it's, it's been incredible. Um, I've also been learning to enjoy God's heart towards me, uh, receive forgiveness, um, enjoy intimacy with him moment by moment and uh, I've been fighting for my family's hearts um, kind of kind of interesting to me as my spiritual heart heals 
uh, it turns out my physical heart has some issues. So uh, I share that with you today. I'm going to have some heart surgery at some point in the in the uh, weeks and, and months ahead. Have a have a bad heart valve. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll use this that came to mind to uh, lighten the message just a minute here. Um, I'm a pretty active person. Run quite a little bit. Chad said, "If you have a bad heart, we're all doomed." I'm just going to start eating donuts. So Chad, thanks for <laughs> thanks for that line wherever wherever you are. It helped right at this minute. First um, <laughs> Samuel sixteen seven says, "Man looks at the outward appearance, but but we know that God looks at our heart." Um, I've spent much of my life so concerned with the outward, um, hiding sin, um, hiding addiction, faking it. I'm being much more concerned about looking good than being God's man. Um, even at church. Uh, I would say especially at church. And my heart just, just grew cold. Um, nearly nearly died, I would argue. Um, now the kicker is, kind of going on what Kent mentioned, you know, my family uh, knew that I wasn't this man that I, that I pretended to be. And uh, so the conflict, the, uh, the hypocriticism, is that a word? Um, hurt their hearts deeply as well. J- just keep remembering that there's, there's there's hope, and if you're stuck or in some sort of uh, living not not living out uh, who God wants you to be, uh, don't stay there. Don't don't uh, remain miserable because kind of being two people uh, is is miserable. It's not what God wants for us. Um. The process for me of getting my heart back certainly all began with repentance to God. Um, my story is I was exposed, however. I, I would challenge you all to, to, uh, to repent. Uh, repent now. Repent first. Um, just something that I'd been through uh, over the years and from time to time. This particular time, however... Uh, involved me really getting honest and transparent and real with myself and God first, um, with my family, very importantly. And, and for me, to uh, develop this band of brothers, um, many of you are here, and you know uh, a lot more of my story, um, uh, to, to regularly meet with men who know you inside and out, be real, honest. They continually challenge you to guard your heart. They remind you of how much God loves you. Um, I'm getting close here. Um, be, be willing to open up your heart uh, to, to men like that, women like that as the situation goes uh, it's it's uh, it's just been incredible what's more valuable than my small small testimony or words here are able to say at the moment so as a result what's happening well <laughs> here I am right uh, I'd much rather be giving announcements right now than doing this but uh, uh, this is so much more valuable 
so much more precious. Uh, progress, when you get real and honest with God and others, you can restore relationships with your family, your husbands, your wives, your friends. Um, I've always enjoyed Lion and Lamb's worship. Um, wow, during these last couple of years, um, I think I'll just let that be said enough right there. Um, in, enjoying this moment by moment communion, conversation with God uh, is incredible. That idea of praying continually. Um, I kind of knew it up here. I'd, I'd never experienced it. Um, I uh, can't live a minute without it right now. Um, my latest challenge, <laughs> uh, I have a new job, new bosses, a new uh, r- really rough, and quite honestly, I'm not handling it very well, uh, struggling with anxiety and, and worry um, about it. And I, I don't know. Uh, what's going to happen there, but uh, I'm learning to give that to God too, and uh, just just wanted to wanted to share that that I, I don't particularly think I'm handling that um, really really well, but I, but I know God has something here for me too, and some of you will probably hear it when I figure it out. Um, I think I'll just close with uh, with the verse that has uh, been incredibly meaningful uh, to me. Just happened to be happened to be marked with a picture I have of Phil, which again may Phil and I, which may allow me to get through this verse. We'll see. If not, can you ready to pick it up? This is from uh, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And uh, the prophet's talking about what God will do for Israel. Uh, I can tell you he'll do it for you. He'll do it for me. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Thank you. Okay, go. Let's pray. Father, we know that you love a repentant and a contrite heart. And we know, Lord, that what you're doing in Stan, uh, you need to do in all of us. We all have little areas of our lives that we have yet to give up. Lord God, please help us to remove those obstacles to heart-level relationships and then, with a passion, pursue a relationship with you first, with our loved ones, and with other members of the body so that we might be the light that you wish us to be to the world around us. Thank you, Father for reaching our hearts by sending your Son to the cross that each one of us might connect with your heart for eternity. For all this, we give our praises. Amen.